Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 127. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the talented comic creator of Stuffed Rock Studio, Dylan Goss. Dylan! Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. It's great to talk. And it's uh, checking out, you have your, uh, your you, you have a pretty live patreon page which is which is which is fun to check out you got a, an amazing uh ongoing series called mara which we're going to jump into and, and and talk about as well um and great background story on this great way of how you got it started um but first i want to kind of like you know jump in and talk about um you know as like uh, they talk about how you kind of started creating this and i know that you started getting into comics by uh um so the uh there's a there's a legendary story that's going around that year father showed up with a pickup truck full of comic books and <laughs> kind of got you started on something right yeah yeah absolutely yard sales are amazing right <laughs> <laughs> mostly spider-man right i heard mostly spider-man mostly yeah. spider-man yeah it was a lot of marvel um, I would say about 10% of it was DC and almost all of that was Wonder Woman. Right. The rest was Marvel, you know, Spider-Man, X-Men, New Mutants. Um, you know, I really liked New Mutants. Uh, magic was, uh, was something really new and exciting for me, right? Because she wasn't really like any other mutant that I had seen, you know? Yeah. Uh, but then you had guys like Cypher who... I mean, your ability is really cool, yeah. But maybe don't go fighting. You know? <laughs> maybe stay home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Work for the UN. You know, you have a cool ability, but. <laughs> and so I'm just, I, you know, when you mentioned that in previous podcasts, that like showed up with a job, it was like mostly 70s and 80s. Every time I heard you mention that in previous interviews, I, I, I am, I was thinking out loud, and I'm going to ask you the question out loud. Now that I have you here, do you still have those comics? My father has those comics. Okay. Uh, so we um, we moved to Belize when I was pretty young. Uh, we took him with us. And uh, I moved to Taiwan with my wife about 13 years ago. And uh, I left the comics there. Right. So my, my father has them now. Did you look them up to see if they're if they're worth anything? Any you have any like key issues they're, or anything? They're not in the best condition. They're not the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing like slab worthy that you'd probably get them slabbed or anything. Though. No, they, they were dog eared before I ever got into it. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. good. I, I had to ask you that question because I was, I was wondering that from your other interviews. I'm like, where are they now? Are they, you know, it's like, did you get any good ones? Yeah. So. But you, so that's what kind of got you into comics is that you were, you know, basically, you know, had a truck full and that kind of got you started reading them. Um, and, and so, as I think you're saying before too, it's like you really got in, like you started writing early too, like that your, yeah. your idea of writing and um, where along the lines did the story um, Mara come into place in your, in your evolution of comic creating? Well, I um, 
I think the first seed of Mara came from Princess Mononoke. Uh, okay, the, the whole wolf and girl trope. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's an iconic, it's, it's a masterpiece. I, I'm not even, I'm not going to uh, dance around that. It was a masterpiece. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, um, I of course know Conan the Barbarian. I don't think Barbarian would be in any of our vocabulary if not for Conan. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's just something about th this this guy is just so much stronger that even though he has no armor to speak of, he can go up against overwhelming odds, right? You know, that's uh, the modern day Samson. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I like that because, uh, I mean, also He-Man. You know, right. He-Man was a similar situation there, so, uh, sword versus sorcery. Um, and although there is a significant amount of magic uh, giving Mara her powers, don't tell her that. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, and uh, what really sparked Mara herself, you know, just as, as her characterization, as I was... Uh, I was watching Logan in the theater and uh, Daphne Keene showed up on screen for the first time. You know, that fight scene, she was right. quite feral. She was actually on all fours at some point during that. And they presented her as being very animalistic. And that uh, that really got the gears turning in my head. You know, that was that was hugely inspiring for me. Right. Uh, so, so talk a bit about Talk a bit about um, Mara as a as a con so she basically this is a this is a world that takes place that is which I love the setting so it's one of the things we'll talk about world building in a bit but I I, I love the idea of the setting that it, it is kind of an ancient but post apocalyptic setting so yeah. it's um, and she comes from type a type of like an inspired Inuit culture. But now it's a dry, arid landscape. So, right. Um, talk to us about that that setting you created. So, this uh, this setting was meant to be that they used to actually be more like the real world Inuits. You know, they they were a uh, a winter, a cold weather tribe. Mm. Um, but there is no more cold weather, so they have instead of ice fishing, they have the only river around. And water is very precious, and that's what sparked the uh, tribal war, right? Because, you know, everybody wants water for themselves. And uh, if, you were, if you were lucky and you happened to live there, well, good for you, but everybody else also wants to have that for themselves. Um, and what, uh, what started this... this uh, well, this is a pretty severe global warming. This is more like a global catastrophe. Right. Um, there was a war between the gods, which set the sky on fire. It has completely destroyed the day-night cycle. It is just constantly red all the time. Because the sky is literally on fire. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So people who lived in... Uh, in warm climates at that time, of course, didn't make it. 
there was just there was just no way to support life anymore there. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Mara's tribe, the rain, they uh, had to adapt pretty quickly. You know, they uh, they used to dress a lot warmer, of course. They used to do ice fishing. There's no more of that anymore. And they were no longer self-sufficient. So they had to, instead of using their native language, they switched more and more to using the common language in the area so they could trade. Okay. And as they lost their native language, they lost some of their traditions. Uh, they no longer had the trials to determine who would be the uh, the wolf's champion. Mm. And because of that, there was no real defense against what came for them. You know, it wasn't just some tribe with spears coming for them anymore. Right. And uh, when there was only one person left, the wolf spirit said, okay, well, now I know who's the strongest because you're the only one. You, uh. you logically have to be the strongest. And uh, it was a bit of a loophole, but he wasn't willing to let everybody in the tribe die. Right. So even though Mara's not really the chosen one and not the best of the tribe for this, she hid the best and got mm. lucky. Right. So talk to us about a bit um just like the world building aspect that you had to do now because you mentioned you're kind of inspired a little bit by you know the uh, logan and, and princess mononoke so you can did you have the kind of that like that, that 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 character in your head first before you had the world around it yeah um when uh when i hired rosie to uh be the illustrator we had a few months of fleshing out the world before mm. we started doing the comic at all. Right. And um, initially, Mara actually had a lot more uh, Viking influence than Inuit. But, um, you know, as, as I was working with the artist, this, this changed and evolved. Mm. And, uh, you know, because artists aren't just drawing robots. Right. You right. give them an idea and you let them go. And if they come back with something you don't like, well, that's another discussion. But um, th certain things have been changed because of Rosie's input. But I think the key there is that nothing was ever taken away. Right. She has only ever added to the story. And uh, that's why I'm willing to give as much creative freedom as I have, you know, because it's uh it's not just a one-man show you know we're a team right right and uh when uh when i was hiring an artist i had i had three people shortlisted and i just told them you know uh, uh i'll pay you for a commission give me a uh, character concept of you know what you think mara is like and Rosie came back with something I wasn't expecting, but that ended up being my favorite. Hmm. And and so did you, because of the other artists, uh, in, are you looking at maybe some future projects with uh, some of the other, your other shortlisted artists? Possibly. Hmm. Um, you know, I, uh, I definitely have other comic ideas and right. scripts. 
uh, and they're not uh, they're not remotely the same genre. You know, I've got I've got a cyberpunk one in there, right. for instance. I've got a modern day one. I've even got a comedy one on the back burner. Right. So, what do you do as a as a comic creator and a writer? Talk to us a bit about your the feedback loop you have. Like, for instance, is when you write out a script. Like for instance, like get, take an example, um, Mara, like your first, you know, 12 pages or so. Did you, was it just Rosie that looked at it or was there, they, do you have like some, some other people that, that also write that you got feedback from and some tips and editing advice on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've, I also actually got, uh, feedback from other artists, mm -hmm. um, the uh, the thing about uh, writing is that everyone wants to write for themselves, which I think you should do absolutely. Because right. if you don't like what you're putting out, what are you doing, right? right? But other people have to like it too, right? And it's pretty easy to get caught up in your own head sometimes. You know, you'll uh, an idea will pop into your head and you'll have the details bouncing around in there and you won't put them on the page because they seem obvious to you because they're in your head. Right. And if you don't have someone reviewing it, then uh, you could, you could end up putting a comic out there and people will be like, uh, you never addressed this very important plot detail. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have, you have to have that, you know, right. I have a, I have a couple of friends who also write that, uh, give me feedback on that um besides besides of course uh rosie and the translators i have uh i have two translators as well um and uh you know i because of how it's being released on patreon i am getting feedback you know as each page comes out right um now the page has already come out when i get that feedback but right. it does still help uh behind the scenes everyone who's reviewing it is a creator in some capacity so that's going to skew their feedback a little bit uh feedback from someone who is primarily a reader has has its own perspective that i wouldn't otherwise get right uh, which I found it interesting is that before we before we went live, you talked about you also that you were you grew up in Belize. Um, you live in Taiwan now. That for me, knowing that 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 kind of I understand now that explains of why the the three translated versions you have, which is Portuguese, which is you know obviously you know spoken in Brazil, um, and also Spanish, as you mentioned before, and you know in South America, but also that the Chinese is it Mandar Mandarin, right? Yeah, uh, it's it's traditional Chinese, which okay. is uh, which is the writing used in Taiwan. Okay, okay, yeah, all right, and and so that helps, and so that makes. Is there any uh, other ideas as of to expand it out to um, other uh, other languages too? Uh, yeah, I've um, I've spoken to a Dutch and a Russian translator. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. And so where, so side question for you, Dylan. Yeah. I love the ideas that you have for, you know, like, it, like it's, 
um, where it's going. I just got to ask you, where did what's the origin of Stuffed Rock Studio? What is the origin name for that? Uh, you know, it's just my dumb sense of humor. <laughs> I, I, I like I like the idea of a plush toy that is a rock. <laughs> I, I find that idea very funny. <laughs> right. And you had and so so getting getting back to the the, the world building aspect of things, um, in Mara, what? How did you? So a lot of you know it's, you know the question comes up you know you, you start you you start off with a character first then you went from there mm -hmm. so and then you went to did you start with like say like uh, the geography of it like did you map it out did you have languages different cultures um, where did you go from that as you mentioned before that you know Mar kind of hit in your head was kind of this idea of uh, more of like a, a, a Viking culture is what you had in, initially in mind did did you and you said like the origin of the the this the world it is was like a, a battle with gods did you start off also making a kind of like a, a pantheon of gods too or how did you kind of first create the world uh it did start with a pantheon of gods mm. uh and what's left of the pantheon because mm. the war uh there were clear winners and losers but it was devastating on both sides right uh, so what we have left now is just a handful of gods. Uh, so that part, um, that part was definitely uh, a huge part of the initial world building. Also, uh, Mara's tribe was actually a big part of that because when uh, when we were doing this world building, you know, uh, the artist and I, her idea of approaching world building is that every person has a role to play in changing the world right and it doesn't matter uh, how minor of a character you are you shape the world around you and that in turn shapes other characters so the idea was that mara's tribe would shape who she is as a person yeah. so that that was a big part of it as well the um the mapping out happened in uh in a few different ways there are in uh in my notes there's basically a uh, network of caves and uh and cities the cities are kind of isolated by necessity there just isn't a lot of drinkable water there isn't a lot of anything really right. so people aren't really spread out they cluster into these walled cities well, one of the first cities they come across nobody's allowed to leave without a merchant license because just going out on your own is a death sentence hmm. and, and and so you know once you kind of and then you also you you looking at the comics you have different types of races and stuff how did did you also do deep dives into the uh, um, the, the evolution of different species, sentient species as well? Absolutely, the elves are probably the best off in mm. uh, in this world because they are uh, they're high magic. You know, they can uh, they can manipulate the world in various ways. They can even create water, which is oh wow, 
Yeah, which is a, a very precious ability. Um, so they have some of the only nature around, really. Right. Uh, the, um, the humans are not terribly united, but they are the most prevalent species. Right. Uh, so, uh, for instance, um, Pile is not affiliated with any of the people that we come across. Uh, his his friend Ben Keki uh, was a childhood friend, and they've just been wandering around. They they don't really have a tribe of their own at all, you know. Uh, and the insectoids are also a dying race uh orcs that we haven't seen yet were horribly devastated by the war because they uh they don't have the infrastructure anymore to be a marching war band you know mm -hmm. uh, that would require carts of water and that would require a lot of things that they just no longer have and with, mm -hmm. without that they ended up just being mercenaries without tribes and it's very difficult for them to survive like that so they're quite rare right the uh, stone giants like jum is uh, they just have a lot of trouble surviving in this climate uh, he has adapted as best he can but a lot of his a lot of his people haven't been able to and it's just, it's a very common story that people are just not able to adapt. Humans are the most adaptable species in this world. And um, that's why they have maintained their majority. But it's not looking good for them either. Mm. So uh, do you have, as you mentioned, like you, you know, looking at, we talked earlier about that you have like the kind of a four part for the first story arc. Do you always see this as an ongoing series or there's going to, you have a definitive end to the, to tomorrow. There is a definitive end. Yeah. Uh, it is, it's a little bit of a lengthy series. Uh, it's not fully written yet, but I'm estimating 20 chapters. Okay. Okay. And, and, and then, and then from that, do you see, uh, so what, one of, one of the other pieces to it is that when you, when you put it to, when you, when you put it together, do you have, um, uh, like the magic you mentioned earlier as well? Uh, do you have, because you're a fan of the tabletop role-playing games, do you have a, a very specific hard magic system or is this more of like a soft magic system? The, uh, the magic that people are able to do definitely has limits based on how they acquired it. Mm. And uh, elves have natural magic, but they can only do so much with that. Uh, some elves have decided that's not enough for them and have gone on to acquire magic in other ways. And uh, the thing that they fail to understand as a species is that magic isn't free they treat it as though it is you know Kalmor uh, is very cavalier with his magic 
he acts like it's infinite, but mm -hmm. it's really not. And it does take a toll on the world. Right. And, and what about, because with, uh, so then, then I got to ask you too, because you probably thought, maybe you must've already thought about this. Is there a, is there any plans on maybe taking an open source, uh, an open source gaming license, an open gaming license, or creating your own tabletop role-playing game, like a source book for Mara? Well, I probably wouldn't make an entire game for it, but okay. I would consider releasing an adventure okay. based on it or a series of adventures. Uh, I would I, I would have someone who actually, you know, writes adventures professionally do this because uh, while I am a GM, my notes are not worth publishing at all. <laughs> those, those are those are for me. And if anyone looks over my shoulder while I'm running the game, they won't learn anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and what are some of your what would be uh, so to, getting back, getting back to working with Rosie. So, you know, we have some comic writers that might be listening to this and saying, Hey, you know what you, uh, you're able to find Rosie and say, like, I gotta, I've, I've kind of identified my own uh, uh, illustrator artist that I want to be working with. Um, what's your advice from say like the business and perspective of, of contracts or how does that, how would, what would be some advice that you would give to, um, other writers. So the contract is meant to protect both of you. Mm. Um, and what, uh, what I would recommend is that you, uh, you look up a, you can find a lot of templates online. You look up one of those, don't try and write it from scratch, right? There's a lot of boilerplate for a reason. Uh, crank out the first draft and send it to the artist. Don't expect them to sign the first draft because, you know, uh, it is both ways. Um, the other thing is artists are not drawing robots. I mentioned that before. Um, so you need to work out what level of detail they're expecting in the script. Uh, a lot of people will default to using the Marvel method. You know, the Marvel method is good. It's good. Mm. I don't use it. Right. Uh, I uh, I went through a whole discussion on how the uh, script should be formatted. You know, what works best for both of us, and that's important because if it doesn't work for you, the writer, it's not going to come out well. Right. Even if it's the format that your artist wants, it's not going to come out well. Um, so what we settled on actually just looks more like a narrative. It, it ends up looking more like a narrative with, uh, detailed physical descriptions. And, uh, that's what works for us. It might not be what works for you. You know, maybe the marble marble method works great for you, hmm. but figure that out first. Uh, don't, uh, don't tell them you want the pages now and hand off a script that you haven't even asked about yet. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, and also too, like what would be, uh, what, what would be, what would be some of your advice on say like 
deadlines and, and things like that. And for that as a writer, working with an artist. Well, definitely figure out what reasonable deadlines are before you start. Hmm. Uh, because, uh, because the one I'm doing is ongoing, uh, instead of saying, okay, well, chapter one has to be done by this date. Instead, we go with, okay, well, we, we need to have four pages in the buffer. You know, that's, uh, in, because like I might get sick, Rosie might get sick, you know, or right. there's a holiday or some for some reason somebody has to take off for a little while if you are if you are cranking it out close to the deadline you're going to miss your deadline right so you need to give yourself plenty of time for that uh, whatever you think your deadline is be early mm. and uh that might sound like simple advice, but it actually is difficult to maintain. Right. You know, uh, as a as a project manager, which you are going to be if you're the writer, mm. you know, if it's a creator-owned comic, uh, as a project manager, you will very quickly realize that the human element is just so unpredictable. Right. Yeah. So give yourself as much extra time as you can twice what you think you need right and and what are some of the and, and you mentioned in previous interviews as well about some advice also on uh, on the networking aspect how important do you see uh networking as a as a uh, as making a creator own comic the um the thing about a creator own comics that you also have to market it yourself hmm. and you know, your connections aren't just for advertising. You know, don't don't approach it that way or you're not going to nobody's going to like you. If, if all you do is you know, you're going to you're going to be the MLM aunt if uh, right. if that's all you do. But these people can actually help you and often will. Mm. Uh, not just in selling your comic, but in finding people to work with. And for instance, um, my original Portuguese translator couldn't do it anymore. You know, he, he also does his own comics and he has a podcast and it was just, he didn't have the time. Right. right. And uh, that's, you know, that's fine. We, we parted ways, uh, you know, favorably. Yeah. 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 Amicably, but I still needed another translator <laughs> yeah. uh, because I actually have, uh, you know, a network, I was able to reach out and say, Hey, is anybody know a Portuguese translator? And I have a new Portuguese translator now, right? Yeah. Uh, if I didn't have a network, I would be shouting into the ether. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there, is there any like online groups or things that you've, uh, you were able to connect with that you, that you found has been, um, really helpful in your networking and, and reaching out to, um, other other creators as well. I've found that it's easier to connect with other creators on Twitter than it oh. is on Facebook, wow. uh, because Twitter has more of a discovery aspect to it. Okay. Um, Facebook has groups which are valuable. I've right. definitely found people to work with in groups, 
but it leaves a lot more of the discovery uh, on you. Mm. So it's it's more manual, where as Twitter is just people just happen upon you, and you'll have just happen upon people, right. and uh, so it's great for meeting new faces that way. Right. Yeah. And 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 part of your marketing strategy is all. Do you have to? So how much do you put adage on the? Um, like you know, like the hashtags and stuff like that. What are what have you noticed that some of the hashtags are that seem to really spark for your comic? Uh, hashtags are essential on Instagram. Mm. Uh, if you're if you're not using at least a dozen hashtags, it's not going to get discovered. And I know that sounds like overkill, but that's what Instagram is. Right. Yeah. Um, for Facebook, hashtags are not so great. Uh, they they do exist and they do work, but nobody clicks on them, in my experience anyway. Yeah. What does work in uh, on Facebook is the groups. Right. You uh, you can share to groups and then people will discover your work that way. Right. Um, for Twitter, you know you you have to use the hashtags. You have to use hashtags. You don't want to overload it like you would with Instagram. There just isn't enough space. Right. You you have to be very short and to the point with Twitter, right? And you have to be constantly tweeting. Twitter moves so fast. As, as a if you have a smaller account, and by smaller I mean less than ten thousand people, uh, you should be tweeting every hour. And I know I'm not doing that because that's exhausting. Even if you, <laughs> even with you with the scheduling, it's exhausting. I I know I don't tweet as much as I should, but um, there's only so much that I'm willing to do because, you know, if I start resenting it, I'm not going to do very well. Right. Yeah. Because you want to make sure that it still stays fresh for you in a way. You don't yeah. want to, yeah, yeah, right. You don't want to, you don't want to, it's, a, it, there's that delicate balance of making your passion into a chore because then you start losing your passion yeah. for it. Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, so where do you see, so like you were talking, you know, you know, getting, getting back to, getting back to Mara. Uh, what were some, as you're, you're kind of approaching it, what were some of the, surprises you saw that Mara did that you weren't expecting as a writer that okay this is the direction we're going this is kind of new for me um when uh when i started you know chapter one chapter one went largely as planned uh and um i know that that is not really uh that's not really what I said before because, you know, she has more of an Inuit uh, background right. or influence, sorry, uh, than I initially anticipated. But once I actually started, you know, uh, getting the chapter one pages uh, with my new look on the tribe, I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't too terribly surprised at the direction it went. It went, pretty much as I expected. Uh, in chapter two, the way she threw herself at the zombies, I, I, I know I wrote that, 
but uh, then I saw that on the page. And I'm like, oh, oh, I wrote that, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, she is meant to have a serious element of brutality. Mm. She is an avatar of revenge. Right. And, but, and the, uh, I was going to say, because you got to, you got to, um, I think you said. I think you said in previous. You got a two-year-old, right now. I do. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so you were be, because of that being now very, very cognizant of, you know, the ages of children. Was that having her be eight years old? Was that just um, uh, kind of a neutral number, or was there any uh, reason behind having her be like eight instead of say like ten, thirteen, or five? Or yeah. Um, so the. Uh... The reason she's eight, it, there's a couple of reasons she's mm. eight. Um, first of all, I like the idea of characters that you can joke about as a general concept. Like, right. what if the strongest person you've ever met was an eight-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> this eight-year-old girl just moving one-ton rocks like it's nothing, <laughs> you know? Uh, but uh, she is played straight. You know, her, her age isn't... Uh, isn't much of a joke, right. but I did want other characters to underestimate her right. uh, at first, at first glance, like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, Pile here is like, wait, little girl, don't, don't do this. And then she, uh, she kind of hulks out on him, you know, right. <laughs> but um, the, the reason she's not even younger is that I wanted her to, have some ability to understand the world around her right. you know uh, very very young children they they're still trying to figure out a lot of things right at, at five i can't tell you very many memories i had from when i was five mm. for instance but i can tell you memories that i had from when i was eight mm. you know I'm, I'm very aware of how I was as an eight-year-old and when I when I thought about it more I realized that was the youngest age that I was very aware of right, right. because the further you go back the more your memories are kind of blurred together and you start you you might remember something clearly but then say I guess I was five or six when that happened and right. you're not really sure exactly when but uh, at eight, while you're still very young, and uh, definitely not, definitely not in any way capable of handling a situation like I've placed Mara in by yourself, you're still aware, right? You know, yeah. And so, w when it comes to like the character development of your of the uh, the, the secondary characters, um, it as they as the story kind of grows and expands is there um some ideas of having um them take more of a central role or is 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 mara is going to be the always going to be the lead protagonist in this jum is possibly the most important side character okay in this um you know he uh he presents himself as a joke but 
that's just how he presents himself. Uh, without, uh, I'll say this, without him around, Mara dies in chapter eight. Mm. Like, just not even, point blank, she would die if he wasn't there. Wow. Okay. Uh, Pile is also very important because, I mean, he is the only normal person there. <laughs> he, he is the only normal person and i'm not even just talking about being a human like right everybody else has some weird stuff going on you know and he he is the one straight man hmm. and presenting the group with him in the front is pretty important right. you, you want to negotiate you want to talk to a merchant let's let's get pila to do it right <laughs> And you also, I think you you also mentioned that you had this, this got started during COVID too. So this is, yeah. so this is a, this is a, this is basically like a, that it gave you that ability to kind of sit down and write this. Yeah. Um, I've never met my artist in person. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, it really, uh, it really changed how we work. Right. Um, yeah, I, I've worked from home for a few years now as for my day job. So that part didn't really change for me. But um, it changed how we socialize. It, it uh, changed how, you know, a lot of people were not used to working at home. Mm. Uh, Zoom was not in anybody's vocabulary. Uh, you know, people were going out more. And uh, with people not going out as much uh they have found ways to try to capitalize on that you know um for me i've actually been trying to figure out how i want to be a writer my entire life hmm. uh, i've tried various methods uh at one point i wanted to do video games and i i figured you know I'm a software developer and I want to tell a story. So this should be the natural way of me doing it. Well, the problem there is that while a game can have a good story, that's not what makes a game good. Hmm. And I was kind of just using the game as a vehicle to tell the story I wanted to tell. And that's, that is setting yourself up for failure. Hmm. Don't, don't make a game if you just want to tell a story. There's a moral there. <laughs> It, yeah, it's unless it's unless it's one of those where they like the visual. What are they called? The um, oh, visual novels. Yeah, visual novels. Yeah, yeah. The um, that you know, that's how uh, how fate got started. And uh, fate is a huge. It's a huge deal now, right? Um, but uh, you know, I I, I got to respect that uh, that writer's effort you know he didn't he didn't want to make an erotic visual novel but that's what people wanted to buy so he had some he had some scenes shoehorned in just to just to get those buys right they they didn't really make much sense in canon they're <laughs> just kind of there so he could say yes this is an erotic visual novel please give me money so i can do the thing i actually want to do right <laughs> <laughs> and it worked it worked <laughs> Um, and and you, you mentioned too before that um, that you uh, being 
kind of like being invested in not only the tabletop role-playing game community, but also in the comic book community. Uh, you did mention too, that there is, there seems to be more of a, there's more of a, a stronger community in the, in the tabletop RPG yeah. world as compared to the comic book. Um, get, explain more on that. So tabletop RPGs are inherently collaborative storytelling. Mm. That's, I mean, that, it, yeah, there's dice, there's rules, but right. uh, at the end of the day, it's a group of people sitting down and telling a story together. Right. So I think it promotes community just inherently. Right. Comic books, uh, yeah, you get crossovers sometimes, you get people working with each other, but by and large, comic creators don't really work together. Right. Uh, I I feel like, you know, it just doesn't promote community in the same way. Uh, and I would love to be able to change that. I would love to be able to connect to more creators. You know, there are definitely some creators who are amazing people in the community. I uh, I did a crossover with uh, the creator of uh, Glynn and Monsterland. Okay. That yeah, that was it. Was just a it's just a non a, a non canon. The two panel short, and then uh, their illustrator did uh, like a, a like a cover art of the of the two characters. And that was just a fun little crossover we did. But um, you know, I've also had some brief conversations with uh, Dan Panosian on Twitter, and he's he's a great guy. You know, if uh, if you want uh, if you're having a bad day and you want to boost up, just talk to that guy. He, He'll cheer you right up, you know. <laughs> uh, Jim Zub was actually super helpful when uh, I was in the planning stage. And he, he has his DMs open on Twitter, so I just messaged him. You know, it's like, hey, you have any uh, have any advice for a new comic writer? And he said, well, Dylan, as a matter of fact, I do. Here's my blog I set up with all of the advice columns that I've written for new writers. Oh, wow. But, yeah. So he actually has this, yeah, it's a, it's a Tumblr blog, you know, um, and there's a lot of advice there for writers. Oh, wow. Yeah. And if none of that applies to you, you're probably not doing comics. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and have you been able to, like, for instance, in some of those situations, have you been able to, uh, you know, get some tips uh tricks of the trade that you've been able to dir directly utilize in uh in in your comic books oh absolutely uh in fact one of the it, it actually just occurred to me i've been saying this over and over and it just occurred to me that i i got this from jim uh mm -hmm. when i said that artists are not drawing robots that's actually a direct quote from his blog and i only <laughs> just remembered that now that i'm talking about it right <laughs> I've been saying that without attributing him because I just, uh, I I just you know adopted that as my own philosophy. Uh, right. So, but uh, you know, thinking like that actually has been very helpful because it's easy to think, oh, I'm I'm paying this person; they should do what I want. But it it's not just you're not hiring somebody to move your furniture, you know you're hiring a creative person and creative people 
work best when they're allowed to use their creativity. Right. And I feel like if you give an artist some amount of freedom, because obviously you want to get your script drawn up. Right. Obviously. But if you give them some amount of freedom, you will actually get back more. Because, uh, uh, like I said before, n none of Rosie's changes were removals. They were all additions. They all added to it. I, I haven't felt like any decision she's made has made the comic worse. Okay. It has only made it better. Well. Is there... Uh, so, you know, just I'm kind of curious about some of your other stories. Are they in a shared universe or are they completely different? As you mentioned, you had like a cyberpunk idea. You had a kind of a uh, kind of a comedy one and a modern one. Is there any shared universe? Like, do they take place in other parts of the timeline of, of the world that you established with Mara? No, because I don't want to be limited by any other stories. Okay. Um, if uh, if I had to connect, say, the modern day one to Mara, or mm. even the cyberpunk one to Mara, then I would have to build off of that world, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it does limit my options, and okay. I don't want my options to be limited. Okay. You know, I see. Uh, I see with Marvel all the time they're constantly having to especially in the in the 70s comics there would be a little asterisk when somebody was talking and it's like oh well he's talking about this thing that happened in this comic <laughs> that you don't have right. fyi and you know i uh, i don't really want to have to do that i don't right. want to have to say well uh Wolves are the dominant species because Mara, right? Right. I don't want to have to say that uh, technology evolved a certain way in the cyberpunk one because of how I wrote the modern one. Mm. And that's because of how I wrote Mara. Right? Right. right. Everything is kind of separate so I can do whatever I want with it. Right. Mm. Oh. So yeah, this is it. We're at we're already at our hour mark already, Dylan. So this was just like that, man. Um, yeah, just like that. So so people can if people are interested in in, in reading, they can actually go to Mara Mara-comic.com to actually read. It's it's right there. Um, you also have your Patreon that I highly recommend people to check out, which is they get. Um, they get you they get their pages earlier um you also get you know for the you can also at that the ten dollar level they also get um some sketches do you want to explain that what was that about yeah uh so people would get the uh the progress shots of okay pages cool. as they come out as so a they the the rough sketch and the ink are those are the two main ones mm -hmm. right uh sometimes you'll get reworks you know like we'll uh We'll be doing it and uh, either i will say well i i don't think it should be this way or rosie will say i actually did not end up liking how i originally did it uh which has happened a couple of times you know uh, 
I'll look at the page and I'll say, yeah, this is good. And she'll come back the next day and say, that actually wasn't my best work. Here is what it should be. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you get to you get to see those reworks as well. Right. Um, and, and also, too, you, you have so you have kind of two websites. You got your Mara comic, but you also have your stuff, stuffed rock studio, which is the basically your kind of like your launching point, your your drop yeah. it, drop point here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's a little bit of a I don't want to call it a placeholder, right. uh, but we don't have a huge amount of uh, content for it because there's only the one comic. Right. So far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. far, yeah. Uh, we've we, we've got we've got a little bit of info on there about the team and stuff like that, but yeah. um, the 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 website you you really care about is the comic website, right? That's where you can actually read the comic book and that everything. Cool. Well, hey, listen, Dylan, when you get ready to, um, you know, mention mentioned before, you know, like there'll be a there's going to be a point where you're going to get all four chapters together for a um for kickstarter come back on man this is good you have basically a page every week comes out yeah that's what we're doing right now cool excellent all right well thank you so much dylan and it was uh it was a great pleasure talking to you oh thanks for having me on looking forward to being here uh when i have that book for you cool excellent Did you do you ever did you ever do any like like um do do, do you storytell exalted you said you run that yeah. GM it yeah uh we played mostly two point five okay yeah is that so that's different than like the yeah for, how much different is the second edition to like first edition well first edition is really its own beast entirely right um it it has the hallmarks of an old system but it's definitely worth checking out right you know uh, I, I recommend everybody check it out and um, if you if you're interested in exalted you know because they lay so much groundwork there that they just don't in second edition right uh, white wolf is not good at consolidating <laughs> it's like there's like so many contradictions you can tell they just like contracted out writers and it's like it's like wait you said something completely different in this other splat i don't understand what you're talking about yeah well remember when anybody could write anything about star wars and just have it be canon as yeah. long as they bought the license yeah <laughs> I, I feel like they kind of did that with their contractors yeah <laughs>